Thank you for joining us. You're listening to the sermon ministry of the United Advent Christian Church in Wilmington, North Carolina, where we strive to love God with all that is in us, love our neighbor as ourselves, and make disciples of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. I hope you're blessed by this week's message. Please feel free to reach out to us if we can help you or serve you in any way. Thanks again. So I want to invite you to to turn in the scriptures, Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17. Romans 1, 16 and 17. And this is the the beginning of Paul's uh, letter to the church in Rome. And these these are some really powerful words to remind us about what we're here for. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The word of the Lord. So, I'd like to uh, just kind of declare my purpose this morning uh, over the course of, <clears throat> and we're going to take this with a grain of salt, eight weeks, the next eight weeks. Um, I, I'm not completely sure where I'm going next Sunday, so I can't tell you it's just going to be eight weeks. But my aim in the beginning is about the next eight weeks. What I want to do is, is cover some of the, uh, the core values that God has laid on my heart for ministry. These are aspirational values. And we're going to recognize in every one of these things, we're not there yet. We haven't arrived. But as a church, I want to challenge us Sunday in and Sunday out. These are the things that we need to begin with. And as I was uh, speaking with the elders, and I believe Charles is the one that told me that we were going to have communion Sunday, this first Sunday that we were together. And I said, I, I, I knew what I was going to preach on. Because uh, one of the defining characteristics of my ministry has been a reliance on the power of God through the, the word of the gospel. And so I want to challenge us that the gospel would be front and center in all that we, we do. I couldn't think of anything more important to emphasize on our first Sunday together than the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I, I think you're going to realize that, that God has more of a role for the gospel in your life than you realize now, my testimony is I, I grew up in a Bible-believing church, and uh, I, I would say our church spoke about Jesus pretty frequently, um, but I want to tell you that a lot of the, the, the teaching that I sat under in children's ministry, even on into camp years, and when we're getting into camp years, we're talking about having Christians here. I know I grew up Methodist. You might want to write them off. But, but during, the camp years, during the camp years, I was, I was sitting under some having Christian teaching and preaching. And I think sometimes what happened as, as people tried to um, kind of simplify the message of Scripture. If they weren't careful, what it became was a, was a system of do's and don'ts. Most of the youth ministry teaching that I sat under through the years, you would think that what we were after, you know, the, the high watermark of the Christian life 
is, is, that, is that we didn't have premarital sex, we didn't smoke, and we didn't do drugs. But you know, sometimes in, in the sharing of the, that word, don't get me wrong, those are important things, but, but very often what was overlooked, do you know what was overlooked? The gospel. The gospel. And if we're not careful, I, what, what, uh, what Paul argues in Galatians is not that they're emphasizing the wrong thing, but they're emphasizing things in the wrong order. And if we're not careful, we can lead people to this system of do's and don'ts. And somehow the, the, the takeaway that they have, what they're left with, is that if I obey God, I will be accepted. What we're going to see about the gospel is that it completely reverses that order. And the gospel starts with, and hear this, the gospel starts with, you are accepted. Now, therefore, obey. Do you realize the difference? And you say, well, Pastor Mike, you're mincing words here. No. This is the difference between life and death. This is the difference between salvation by faith through grace. And if we're not careful, what we can, what, what the Christian walk can resort to is a works orientation. How many of you, I, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, okay? I don't want you to be too vulnerable with each other this morning, but just raise the hand in your heart. How many of you had fallen victim to this idea that God loves the very best version of you. And he just kind of puts up with the other version. That's sneaky. That, I, I, you know, that enters into our mind. But I, I want to tell you, the gospel says that God loved you at your worst. He loved you at your worst. And he did something about it. And so this morning we want to look at the life-changing gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, just in case you're thinking that my experience is different than everybody else's, I, 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 I would submit that Bob and Larry, if we're not careful, um, what, that re- what that devolves into is moralistic teaching that is purely Christless. So there's a role for veggie tales and children's entertainment. But we need to, we need, you know, when we're, when we're speaking to young people, when we're speaking to old people, we need to, we need to make sure that the gospel is front and center in all that we do. Uh, one, of the, one of the side effects of kind of growing up with that moralistic bent on, on preaching, uh, when I was strong, if, if the preacher was teaching on something that I was doing well in, it often led to pride. And I might look down my nose at, at somebody else who wasn't doing as well as me. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought, well, I may be messed up, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so. And And right when I said that, somebody's name entered your head. (laughs) I know it did. I know it did. Be honest. If we're we're not careful, a a works orientation can can lead to pride. And then, you know, think about this. as As a hormonal teenager, very often I would sit under a message... And I would be filled with despair. Because it seemed to me nobody was acknowledging their struggles. Nobody was acknowledging the fact that this Christian life was hard. 
And there were, there were prolonged seasons in my life that I thought I was the only one struggling. I remember, I remember getting uh, baptized at camp, and I thought, this is, this is going to do it. I'm going to come up out of the waters. I'm not going to struggle with sin anymore. And that lasted all five minutes. So what's the secret? You know, um, Martin Luther, uh, one of the reformers of, of the you know, Christian past, a 16th century monk who, who sparked the Protestant Reformation, uh, he said a couple things about gospel-centered preaching, and I thought they were tremendous. He said, the first duty of the gospel preacher is to declare God's law and to show the nature of sin. So I'm not saying that we don't do that, okay? But listen to what he says next. He says, the law proves to us that we cannot stand before God in our own righteousness, and that drives us to the gospel. I love what he says next. He says, the law discovers the disease. The gospel gives the remedy. How awful would it be to go to the doctor's office and he says, you're very sick. You're very sick. I'm surprised you even walked in here today. Well, what's wrong? Well, we, you know, we did some tests and we found this, this, and this. And then your next question is, Doc, what are we going to do about it? What would happen in your heart if he said, I don't know. And then he just walked out. You see... I would be doing you a tremendous disservice if, if, if I used the law to point out your sin and I didn't lead you to the gospel. There's no remedy in the law. I'm not saying the law has no purpose. The, law, the purpose of the law is to be like, you know, when, before I left the house this morning, I stood in front of my bathroom mirror and I wanted to make sure everything looked, well, as good as it could. <laughs> Let's be honest. But what's the purpose of that mirror? It's, it's to be an accurate reflection of what others are seeing. So the, 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 the purpose of the law is to be an accurate reflection of what God sees when he looks at my life. And, and yeah, sometimes that can lead to despair. But, but the purpose of the gospel is to show us that, that there is a remedy that God has provided in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you a little test this morning. You didn't know that was going to happen for Sunday. Preacher's pulling out a test already. But uh, uh, how many of you have ever heard a sermon on David and Goliath? You can raise your hands. I mean, there's nothing to be ashamed about there. I think we all have heard a sermon on David and Goliath, right? If we just imagine for a second, a lot of the sermons that we've heard on David Goliath, you put yourself in David's shoes, didn't you? And what's Goliath? Rick, we have a slide for that, right? What's go- oh, it, okay, sorry. What's Goliath? Goliath is your problems. And tune in this morning, because I'm going to give you a five-point sermon, and those are the stones. I'm going to teach you how to go from zero to hero. I know that's a little bit of hyperbole, 
But a lot of the, a lot of the messages that, that, that we'll sit under, if we're not careful, they leave us feeling like God's calling us to be the hero of the story. And I, I saw I saw a uh, I saw a slide. If if you'll go two ahead, Rick, I, I, I did them out of order. I promised you they'd be in order. But I saw a picture. I don't know if you can pull it up. Yeah. You want to know where you are in the story? You're cowering to the side of the battlefield. You're hopeless. You look at that giant and you say, there is no way I could possibly do battle with that giant. And what does God do? He raises up a representative. Representative warfare. He raises up a representative. You can go back one. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the greater David. I'm not making that up. He said that himself. Out of David would come a greater warrior king who would defeat the greatest enemies of the Christians, sin and death. Jesus slayed them. Folks, Jesus is the hero of the story. It's not you. You're not David. This should give you hope. Because <laughs> that means victory. It's not, it's not about you overcoming your enemies. It's about you trusting in the representative that God raised up to battle on your behalf. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. The sad thing is that moralistic preaching uses the Bible, but it misses the entire point of the Bible. You know, most people, if they were surveyed, they would tell you that they, they feel like the Bible is a, is a book of rules, right? Most people would say that the Bible is a book of rules, and it has some stories tossed in. Because you can't just have a book of rules. You've got to have some stories. Right? But I, I want to I challenge that narrative. I want to tell you this morning, the Bible is a story from beginning to end. And the story is the unfolding of the drama of redemption. The story is God sent his son to enter this world to conquer, conquer your greatest enemy, sin and death. And that victory is assured to those who put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's, uh, let's look for a few moments at what the gospel isn't, okay? What is the gospel not? <laughs> the gospel isn't about being good enough. You know, uh, Luther, when he came to Romans 1, 16 and 17, one of the reasons, uh, by Luther's own admission, one of the reasons Martin Luther entered uh, the monastery is that he was actually running from God. He thought, man, if I, if I would enter the monastery, if I could be good enough, then maybe God wouldn't be after me. And when he uh, first went to Romans, in Luther's commentary on Romans, he said he got to these verses, and at first he found them very troubling. And I want you to think about this. 
they, they are a little troubling because Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for in it. What is the gospel? It says in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, if I were writing Romans and I wanted to feel better about myself, I would have written. It's a good thing I didn't write Romans, but I would have written uh, in the gospel. The grace of God is, is revealed or or the mercy of God is revealed. But do you notice the word that Paul uses? He says, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So Luther looked at that. And you know what he said? How in the world could this be good news? The the gospel reveals that I'm a sinner. The gospel reveals that God is a just and holy God. And he is going to stand in the judgment of my sin. But the words that changed Luther and sparked the Protestant Reformation are the words that follow. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. You know, so often we act as if faith in Christ settles our account with God. And then it's up to us to keep that account in the positive after that. What I want to tell you this morning is that you would never be good enough to keep your account before God in the positive. All right, it's about time for us to get going. (laughs) That wouldn't be a very good place to end the sermon, would it? I got more bad news. The gospel is not about the relaxing of God's standard. I had a teacher in Bible college who graded on a curve. He would, uh, he would bring us all in after a, an exam, and he would go over the exam question by question. I think he was trying to kind of hone in our critical thinking skills. And we could, we could protest that a, that, that a question was unfairly or unjustly written or that another answer was acceptable. And, and if we would give him a good argument that, that his, his question was no good or that there was another answer, he would say, well, if you put that other answer, you can mark it right. And there were times where I'd go into his class and I'd start with a 68 or a 76. And by the, by the time I got out of there, I'd, I'd have a, an 83 or a 96. I was like, man, this grading on a curve thing, that's really good stuff. But I want you to know that God, not only does he not grade on a curve, he cannot grade on a curve. God cannot stand... The presence of sin. He would not be a just and holy God if he winked at sin. He must punish sin. Well, if God didn't perfect us and he didn't relax his standards, how can the gospel be good news? Feel that tension? And here's what I want to tell you. The gospel celebrates that God sent his son to earth who alone was good enough. Who lived a perfect life and satisfied the just requirements of the law. Who became sin on your behalf and offered his righteousness for you to use as your very own. That's right, friends. What Paul 
identifies as the righteousness of God, he says it's an alien righteousness. It's not our own. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, he says it's a gift of God so that no one could boast. So we looked at what the gospel isn't, and we've got to bring it full circle. What is the gospel? First thing I want you to realize is that the gospel is good news. That's what the phrase gospel means. It literally means good news. At the heart of the gospel is news, okay? It's good, but at the heart of the gospel is news. That requires communication. And some people have this this notion that you can just live a good life in front of people, and somehow they'll see your good life, they'll repent of their sin, and they'll, they'll trust in Jesus as their Savior. But folks, I, I want to I underscore the need for us to tell. To tell the news. To tell the news. What is the good news? The gospel in a nutshell is that, you know, we reckon with the bad news that we were unable to save ourselves, right? So what, what is the good news? The good news is that God sent his son who lived a perfect life. substituted himself as a sacrificial death. He was buried in the grave. Three days later, he rose and he conquered the grave and that he's coming again. In a nutshell, that's the gospel. But that is news that has to be told. And you know what? There's a lot of people that don't understand that. Go back to the grading on a curve a few years ago. I was in a hospital room with a, a, a man that grew up his whole life at Holly Grove Church. And I asked him, I often use two diagnostic questions that I got from Evangelism Explosion by James Kennedy. If you, if you were to die right now or tonight... Are you confident that God would let you into his eternal kingdom? That's the first question. And the second question kind of uh, is related to the first. The second question is this. If God were to say, why should I let you into my eternal kingdom, what would you say? And that's the question that I asked the man in the, the hospital room. He's on his deathbed. And you know what he said to me? A lifetime sitting under... Faithful biblical preaching. You know what he said to me? He said, I haven't been great, but I've been pretty good. And I'm hoping that somehow the good in my life will outweigh the bad in my life, and I'll be able to stand before God someday in judgment and prevail. And then I asked him, Do you think you will? And he said, I don't think so. So he's relying on a Hail Mary at the end of his life. But he did something that was good enough that he didn't remember, but God remembers it. Not only did I have the duty, but I had the privilege of telling that man that that was a terrible plan. (laughs) And then I said to him, I said, you know what? God has a better plan. And I explained 
how Christ lived the perfect life. And that if he would put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he can have a confidence that God would let him into his eternal kingdom. I asked him if he wanted to pray with me and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And he said, I'm not ready. A few days later, his wife called me. She said, he wants you to come up to the hospital now. He's ready. It was a privilege to pray with him to receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior. A man that grew up his whole life, 70 some odd years in church. But he didn't understand the gospel. So it's, it's not about being good enough. It's not about relaxing God's standard. What the gospel is, is it's good news. It's a living truth. It's the power of God, Paul says. Have you ever, have you ever looked at a set of rapids? Uh, you know, he recently... Uh, we went down to the edge of the ocean and, and there were some turbulent waves coming in and you could just, you could feel the power in those waves. Years ago, we were standing at the foot of Niagara Falls and you could just feel the power of that. Have you ever looked at a sunset and said, man, that's powerful. I haven't been there, but some of you have looked on the precipice of the Grand Canyon and, and you were just overwhelmed by its magnitude. Those are all powerful things. You know what Paul says is even more powerful? The saving power of the gospel. He calls it the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. And you know what I love about this? The Greek word that he uses for power is the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get dynamite from. This is the power of God revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then he says something really interesting. He says, from faith to faith. It's the power of God, and the Christian trusts in that power from faith to faith. Some people think that the gospel is the ABCs, or the elementary things of Christianity. It's like, uh, it's like the, the basic course, right? And, and sometimes we, we come up with this mistaken notion that we learn the basics and then we move on to bigger and better things. But what I want to tell you this morning is that you will never outgrow the gospel. It's not the ABCs of the Christian faith. It is the A to Z. Paul says from faith to faith. The first faith is when we first trust in Jesus Christ and we're born again. The scripture calls that regeneration. And you know what the second faith points to? At the end of our lives, when everything is said and done, when we stand before Jesus face to face and we have trusted in him, God promises us that we will be made new. And the Bible speaks of glorification. The whole book of Romans is the unfolding of that story. The point that Paul is making here is that you don't outgrow the gospel. It's not the ABCs, it's the A to Z. And what I want to challenge us to do is rather than looking at the gospel as something that we believe and move beyond, we need to start living in such a way that the gospel becomes the very lens that we look at God, that we look at ourselves, and we look at the world around us. And so what are some action steps? We looked at what the gospel is, we looked at or what it isn't, what it is, and, and, and then finally, what is God calling us to do with the gospel? And Paul has a few ideas for us. He says, number one, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, there's something within the human heart that struggles with the gospel. 
Has somebody ever given you a costly gift and there's a part of you, in some ways it's easier to be the giver than the receiver of, of, of such things, isn't it? I know some of you, you would, you would rather run circles and do for others than ever have to anybody do for you, right? There's, there's a part of the gospel that's hard for us to latch on to. But Paul is saying here the real power of the gospel is that it has the power to both justify us, and that means give us right standing with God, and sanctify us. And that means to change us from the inside out. I was listening uh, to Tim Keller a few years ago, and he was talking about counseling a woman in his office who was struggling with this, this concept of salvation by grace. And you know what she said to him? She said, if I'm saved by works, I can decide that I've done enough to repay God. But if I'm saved by grace, there is nothing that God can't ask of me. Do you get that? One of, one of our deaconesses at Holly Grove, Miss Linda, she, she loved it when I said this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it for you this morning. One of the things that is like nails on a chalkboard to me is when I hear saints say, I've done my time. Don't say that in front of me. <laughs> you thought this sermon was tough? I'm going to give you a sermon right on the spot. Don't ever say I've done my time. This lady understood it. She got it. If I work for my salvation, then I can call it quits. I can say, enough. I've settled the score. But if I could never settle the score, not in, not in the power of my own strength, if, I'm, if everything I have in the gospel is completely owing to the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is nothing that God can't ask of me. There's nothing that is out of bounds. So don't be ashamed of the gospel. Secondly, don't ever assume the gospel. We assume the gospel. If we ever assume the gospel, people will miss it. I want to be blatant with the gospel. It needs to be front and center. We're going to go there every Sunday. I'm not going to get out of a sermon until I've talked about the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And then finally, don't ever act out of line with the truth of the gospel. Paul says something really Interesting. He rebukes Peter in Galatians 2, 14. Paul says something interesting. You know, Peter at that time was showing favoritism or racism, however you want to call it. And Paul didn't just merely say racism or favoritism is bad. He says, Peter, you've received the grace and mercy of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way you're acting is out of line with the gospel. Do you see the difference? Paul is pointing out to Peter that the greatest tragedy is that he's failing to look at that situation through the lens of the gospel. So what I want to do uh, Sunday in and Sunday out, this is going to be an important conviction of mine. And I hope it becomes a shared conviction. I hope it becomes a conviction of yours. I want... I don't want to just mention, but I want to celebrate the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. I think that is the only thing that truly, legitimately has power to change us. And I'm excited. 
I'm excited to see that change unfold in my life and in your life and in our lives together. I'm excited to see that change unfold in our ministry together. And, and it, it just gives us a compelling reason to be here in this community. We're not here by accident. God has a plan and a purpose for us. He has greater things for us to do. Because we have the greatest message there ever was or ever will be. I want to challenge you to join me in building a ministry that is completely saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't ever want to assume anything. I want to, I want to call out to you if you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you're like that man hoping for the Hail Mary at the end, I want to tell you it's not coming. You have to trust in Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to challenge you. Go to Fellowship Hall. Speak to me. Speak to my wife. Speak to one of the elders of this church. It would be our privilege to counsel you, to pray with you, and to lead you into life changing connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. Another thing. I'm just going to I'm just going to start out on a good note this morning. If you've never been baptized, if you've never been baptized, I want to challenge you to be baptized. Being baptized is, is a public declaration that I stand with Christ. There's a lot of Christians that act as if it's optional. And I don't think it is. I don't think it's necessary for salvation. But this, this whole idea that it's optional. I want to ask you something. You're a parent. And you have a daughter. She finds this really nice young man. And he asks for her hand in marriage. And they get married. And... She notices there's a pattern in his life. Every day as he leaves the house, he takes his wedding ring off. And it, it's not a requirement at work. And she asks him, you know, why don't you wear the ring? And he said, well, I just don't like it. Or, or, or maybe, maybe he comes out with the truth and says, well... I don't want to limit my options, you know. There's a big problem. If that was my daughter, me and that young man, we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting, all right? I think the same is true about people that, that privately want to receive Christ and what he's done for them, but that don't want to make a public declaration of their faith. And yes, there can be accommodations if somebody has some sort of handicap or, or need some sort of accommodation. We could, we, maybe in rare instances, we could even sprinkle and not dunk. I've done that. Baptized a lady that was on her deathbed in the hospital. There was no way she was getting out of the hospital. There was no way the nurses were going to let me dunk her. <laughs> so we, we went plan B and we sprinkled that day. My Methodist pastor was so proud of me. <laughs> 
So listen, I, I just want to challenge you. Let's, let's build something great together here. And let it be saturated in the power of the gospel. 